Uh, first of all, uh, Steve Crandall uh, and possibly a few other deacons are going to be handing out the giving statements for 2020. All right, so uh, if you have not, if they have not found you, you should find them. Steve Crandall's the one to go to if you're wondering about that. So um, that is for you to know, so you can grab those. It is good because then it say you can have it in your hands and it doesn't have to go through uh, the mailing process, which is the stamps are getting crazy, I guess, from what I've been told. So almost 60 cents or something. So uh, if you want to take, take those, that would be appreciated. Otherwise, they'll be mailed to you. Uh, the other announcement is for our youth group. Uh, next week is uh, a late night event. So if you are a teenager or are a parent of one or know a teenager, make sure they know that next Sunday night um, will be a late night. We're not exactly sure what it's going to look like yet. But it'll be fun, and it'll be late. So that's what we can tell you. Um, so those are uh, my main and only two announcements that I know of. Um, but continue again uh, to know that we have resumed our Wednesday night ABF. Uh, we'd love to have you join us for that. We've been announcing that, and uh, uh, some of you uh, joined us via Zoom as well, which is always going to be there. You'll have an opportunity to zoom in after watching the live stream uh, which, yes, there's some kinks with the live stream, but we've mostly got them figured out. So um, we'd love to have you join us for that as well as we continue to go through things. And uh, if you are free on Sunday evenings, uh, we have a small group discussion group that gets together to talk about the sermon. Uh, so if you want to come tonight and roast me, uh, you're welcome to do that. Um, I'm not there, so you can say whatever you want. Um, uh, but Justin will tell me, so be careful. Uh, so... Uh, so I would invite you to that if you haven't made, you know, made it to that. Uh, it's a really neat time, and like I said, this is only from what I've heard because I'm usually teaching the teens, uh, but from what I've heard, it's a really neat time to really c- converse over what the scripture is and what the sermon was about, and so it takes what you hear on Sunday morning and makes it into something that you're talking about Sunday night. So it's a really great opportunity if you haven't taken that, so I would encourage you with that. One final thing while I'm talking about the things that are going on, Saturday mornings we have men's group uh, that meets here at the church. There's two separate groups at 7.30, one that meets in the south wing, the one that's usually in the nursery area. Um, and we'd love to have you join us if you're, of course, a man. I mean, it's a men's group. Uh, we've been calling it men's prayer, but it's so much more than that. Uh, we pray together, of course, share requests, share life with each other, and also we have an opportunity to, we're going through book, a book right now. Uh, and we're discussing it, and it's a way to really disciple one another. It's been a great opportunity, so I would encourage you, if you are a man, take advantage of that. Be here Saturday morning at 7.30, uh, even if it seems a little early. I missed this week because I set my alarm wrong, uh, set it for p.m. instead of a.m., uh, but I will be back on Saturday, so I hope you will join us. <clears throat> all right, so with all that being said, I want to open our time with a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive right into Habakkuk as we're going to continue to look at what God has to say to us through this book that many of us maybe have read but not really digested. So I'm hoping that we'll have an opportunity to really see what God has for us in this book. But let's pray to begin. Lord, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for the opportunity that you've provided for us to come together today uh, to worship you, to fellowship with one another, to hear from your word. Uh, This is a privilege that you have given us because of your grace, and we thank you for that gift the the gift of your power working in us and through us and and on us so that we can have the opportunities we have to fellowship with each other and fellowship with you. God, today as we look at this passage in Habakkuk, would you open our eyes, help us to understand what you would have for us to see and hear and know, and God, that that might change the way that we view the world, it might change the way we view you, it might change the way that we view ourselves, and God, that it would help us to live in a way that is faithful and true. And I pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, as we get started, just one second here. Um, As we get started, um, we are going to be coming into the second week of a four-week series on the book of Habakkuk, as I've already said. Um, And we are... Entering a book that I would dare say uh, that many of us maybe have read because, you know, it's still a book we have to read if we're going to go through all the Bible. Uh, some of you <clears throat> maybe even have seen one passage or another that might have popped up in your devotional time uh, with the Lord. 
But I would say, for the most part, we haven't all taken a whole lot of time to dive in, to really study, and to know what's going on in the book of Habakkuk, uh, let alone to think about what it means and how it applies really now. Like, it, uh, the book of Habakkuk was written, uh, you know, thousands of years ago, but really it still is applicable now as it was then. That's all of God's Word, really. If we look at the Bible, we can't get into a place where we think that these these letters and these songs and poems and, and narratives are written just for the people that they are written to at the time, but they're written to all of us. Otherwise, it wouldn't be in God's Word. And God's Word is eternal and it lasts forever. <clears throat> and so my hope is today as we continue in Habakkuk, we will see not only what was going on in Judah, not only what was going on in Habakkuk's life and in his heart, but uh, what is really something we can learn from both Habakkuk himself as well as God today as we look at what he is facing. So a little bit of review. If you weren't here last week, uh, as I always say, if you weren't here, you have the opportunity online, take advantage of it. Uh, go back and, and watch last week's sermon because some of you might be a little lost today if you haven't, uh, but you should be able to follow along either way. Uh, but as we looked at Habakkuk 1, uh, we uh, see that Habakkuk is a prophet who protests uh, God. He, he protests to God, I'll put it that way. And we see Habakkuk's first protest in this book, uh, which maybe in your books it's called a complaint. You could call it either thing. But we see Habakkuk is raw and real, and he's facing some raw emotions that are forcing him into a place where he is desperate for God. He is desperate to see what God is doing, and he's trying to figure it all out and understand why God is doing what he's doing, and when God will uh, when God will make it right. That's really what we see Habakkuk doing. So his first protest basically comes down to this. How long is God going to put up with sin and injustice among his people? Uh, Habakkuk is wondering, how long is God going to put up with the sin and the injustice and the just chaos of the world around him? Now in his setting, that was Judah. And he's watching as his people, God's people, have abandoned God and they're just lawless. They're full of sin and full of injustice and hypocrisy. And he's looking around him and saying, God, how much longer are you going to let this happen? And then we saw God's answer to Habakkuk last week. And that is that the Chaldeans, otherwise known as Babylon, will bring judgment on the sin of Judah. That's God's answer. Habakkuk says, how long are you going to make, let this last? Why is this happening, God? Why is there so much sin? Why is there so much brokenness? Why is there so much injustice? How long is it going to take before you're going to make this right? And God answers him and says, Habakkuk, here's what's happening. You're not going to understand it. You don't know why, but I am bringing this foreign nation, Babylon, into Judah, and they are going to take, they are going to take judgment upon the sin that you're seeing. Now, allow me to paraphrase a little bit as I kind of have thought about this this week. For me, I almost think it's like this. Habakkuk says to God, why are things so bad? God says, just wait, things are going to get worse. <clears throat> and I hope I'm not oversimplifying it, but I really have the... There is this idea, this feeling that you think it's bad now, Habakkuk, you just wait. This awful, sinful, terrible people is going to come and they're going to execute judgment for me against you. And we're going to see now Habakkuk responds to God's answer with another protest, with another complaint, if you will, and another question is really what he comes out with. And how does this apply to us, in a sense? I've been thinking a lot about this lately since the time of New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, we were celebrating a new year coming in, uh, and social media was just blowing up with all of these memes and all of these posts where everybody was basically saying, thank goodness 2020 is over, the better year is here, 2021 is here, everything's going to get better. It was incredible. I couldn't believe how much people were saying that. Because I'm thinking, as I'm looking at the world, I'm thinking, do you really think that this is getting better? Within a week, we saw what happened at the Capitol, and we realized that, no, things aren't going to be better. Uh, and in fact, I'm just going to say this, what if 2021 isn't better than 2020? Actually, what if 2021 is worse? What if this is the worst year we've ever had? Where does that put us? Is God not being a good God? Are we going to abandon him? Are we going to think that somehow that since the calendar change didn't change things, that we are doomed? How are we going to respond? And I feel like we can really get some truth here from what Habakkuk says to God after God comes and says, look, 
it's bad, it's going to get worse. And I almost wonder, is God saying that to us now? I don't know. I don't know what 2021 holds. You don't know what 2021 holds. None of us do. But I do know that there's no guarantee that things will get better. There's no guaranteeing, guaranteeing that things will get worse. All we can do is know that God is at work, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So Habakkuk's response to God is one of faith, even in the midst of confusion. Habakkuk's response is one of faith, even in the midst of confusion. And that's what we're going to look at today in Habakkuk 1. And we're going to start in verse 12 in just a moment. We're going to go through chapter 2, verse 5. And we're going to see Habakkuk's response to God and then God's response to him. And we're going to see how that can orient us in a day of trouble when we don't know what's coming, when things are seeming so bad. We're going to see how Habakkuk oriented himself and how we can orient ourselves and then how God answers him in his moment of questioning. And I think maybe some of us are finding ourselves in a moment of questioning, questioning why God is doing what he's doing, how God is doing what he's doing, uh, what, is, what is he doing? We have confusion in our lives, and I think the point that Habakkuk is going to make and that God is going to make crystal clear is that even when we're confused, even when we're questioning, even when we just don't understand anything, and we're even to the point where we're almost ready to blame God for things, we need to not do that. We need to come to God in faith. Habakkuk's response is one of faith, and I believe ours needs to be as well. So a few illustrations today that I just want to start with, just to get our mind thinking about what we're going to talk about today. Uh, I I love to start with a good illustration just to help even orient myself. Like sometimes I just need a good story to get me started, and I'm trying to respond to what God is doing in my life. I'm going to use three today because I know not everybody relates to the first one that I'm going to talk about. The first one... Uh, many of you know yesterday was uh, the first Bills uh, playoff win since 1995, and it started me thinking about the history of the Bills, and many of you will know that in uh, the playoffs many, many years ago, uh, there was the greatest comeback in NFL history, and maybe you've heard about that. Uh, the Bills uh, were down by over 30 points, and it seemed like all hope was lost. We didn't even have Jim Kelly in. He was hurt. So Frank Reich... And this is why I started thinking about this, because Frank Reich was coaching against us yesterday. But Frank Reich comes in as the backup quarterback, and he completely transforms the team. We come back, and we win in an incredible way. Now, interesting thing about this, and I didn't ask my father-in-law's permission for this, but my father-in-law was at that game. He was sitting in the, in the stands watching that game happen. And he tells the story about how he watched as the first half unfolded and everything was falling apart. Nothing was going right. The bills were getting slaughtered. And my father-in-law said he watched as people in the stadium started leaving more and more and more. People started leaving and leaving. They were giving up. There's no hope. Why even stay? My father-in-law, mostly because he's stubborn, uh, he said, no, I bought these tickets. I'm going to stay here to the end. And he stayed to the end and he was able to watch the comeback in person, watch it happen, watch the Bills win in overtime, and he still tells the story about how thankful he is that he stayed. Now, I know not everybody resonates with sports, but I kind of think about that as we're talking about what we're talking about. Like, that first half is like where we are right now. Like, everything just seems to be going wrong. Everything is bad. It doesn't seem like it's going in the right direction. And we're going to have a choice to make whether we're going to leave the stadium or we're going to stay in faith and watch what God is going to do. But maybe you don't relate to sports illustrations. So uh, I'll go back to even the title of today's message, The Storm Before the Calm. Many times we talk about the calm before the storm. We know a storm is coming and everything seems calm and then the storm comes. But I want to reorient our thoughts today to what about those times we're already in the storm? And I think about a physical storm. You're in a huge thunderstorm or a snowstorm around here. We, We know what it means to get a big snowstorm. And snow and ice is coming down. The power is out. Things are going badly. We can't travel anywhere. We're stuck at home. We don't even have heat because the power is out. And we're trying to figure out what's going to happen. But one thing that you can rely on is that storm will, one at one point, be over. It might last for two hours. It might last for five hours. We don't know how long the storm will last. Sometimes the storm will only last for a short time. But we do know as we're hunkered down and as we're bearing that storm and we're waiting for it to end, that the storm will end. That on the other side of the storm will be a calm at some point. And I think that even can orient our thoughts today. We might be in a storm right now. 2020 into 2021, we're in this storm. But no storm lasts forever. We don't know how long we have to weather the storm. Is it a year? 
two, three, four, five, six, seven, and still is it 20 years that we're weathering the storm? I don't know how long, but God is going to work and bring calm in the midst out of the storm. And so will we trust that that is coming? And finally, uh, if you don't like weather and you don't like sports, but you're a mom, I want you to think about the time that you were in labor for your child. How excruciating and how painful labor is. That whole process, how terrible it is, and sometimes maybe husbands, you can remember that uh, your wife was watching, you were watching your wife go through that pain. Some of you may have experienced pain, either emotionally because of what she was saying, or because she was squeezing too hard on your hand. But you know the type of pain that comes through childbirth and through labor. But what gets a mother through that? It's the idea that at the end of this, no matter how bad it gets, there's a baby coming. Good is coming even in the midst of the pain that she's experiencing. And with those three things, I want us to draw our thoughts to what is it that we can think about our day, where we're living today. Things aren't good. We're in a storm. We're in a a really bad first half of a game, maybe. Or we're, we're in labor in the sense that there is pain and suffering happening. But in the midst of all that, God says, and he's going to tell Habakkuk, look, things are gonna change. You might not know when, but things are going to change. And we're going to look at how we can even know that today. Because I'm not just saying it because, well, you know, we got to be optimistic. That's not the point. I'm not that optimistic, to be honest with you. There's times where I face concern, a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety at times, where I have to really go back to what I'm learning through Habakkuk and other places in Scripture where I just need to run to God when I don't understand what's going on. Because it's easy to be fearful. It's easy to be anxious. But there is a way that we can have faith through that. And that's the whole point that I'm going to look at today. What is it that we can base our faith on through the hard times? And I believe we see that in Habakkuk. So, uh, what we're going to do, though, is uh, I'm going to read the entire passage for us to start. And then I'm going to be going back at times uh, to just pick it apart little bit by little bit. And honestly, we're going to make a pretty quick, <laughs> I hope, pretty quick uh, journey through the book of Habakkuk, and then I want to get to the conclusion today. I want to look at some questions and implications that the New Testament then brings out from what we're going to read in Habakkuk. So buckle up, let's go, and let's let's read this to start, and then we'll look at the main idea of what we're looking at, and then we'll continue on to look at the, the minor points we see here in Habakkuk. So join me again as we read chapter 1, starting verse 12. <clears throat> Are you not from everlasting... O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. For you are are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent while the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. So we read that passage and we're seeing where Habakkuk is and what he's thinking about what's going on and what he's questioning God. And here's the main idea that I hope we see today, that the people of God, those who are have faith in God, the people of God, trust in his character We trust in his plan and we trust in his timing. And those three things all go together. We need to trust God in his character, who he is, who we know him to be. We need to trust his plan that what he's doing is good and right. And we need to trust in his timing that that not only is he going to work in a way that is right, but he is going to do it at the right time. 
And so today, I hope as we come out of this, we're going to remember that if we are to be the people of God, which we are, if we know Jesus, we are in Christ, we are the people of God, we need to trust in his character, plan, and timing. And if we find ourselves in a place where we're struggling with that, then we really need to consider what our trust is really in, what our faith is really in, or who our faith is really in. So the first point today, we see that Habakkuk knew God's character and plan. Habakkuk knew God's character and plan. So when Habakkuk starts to question God again here in this second protest, uh, I don't think it's like a whiny child that's upset with God. Like, I think there's a little bit here where he's frustrated. Of course he would be. Because he doesn't want to see Babylon come in and take over Judah and, and be God's instrument of judgment. But I think what we see here is when Habakkuk responds to God, he starts by knowing and remembering and rehearsing God's character and also rehearsing God's plan, knowing that this is of God. He says, are you not from everlasting? Uh, o Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. Uh, here, where he says, O Lord, this is Yahweh. This is the covenant-keeping God. And we see that the first thing that Habakkuk reminds himself of is that God keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. In verse 12, this first part, are you not from everlasting? In other words, you're every, you are from everlasting. You are forever. And everything you do, you have complete understanding of because you are forever. And not only are you a forever God, but you are Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. And so what, what Habakkuk is reminding himself of, even as he reminds God, but really it's for himself, he says, this is the God, you are the God who always, everlasting, you have an everlasting character that never changes, and that character, that all, you are always going to keep your promises. When he calls him Yahweh, my God, that's what he's reminding himself of. And so he remembers God's character is one that always keeps promises. In the second part of verse 12, we also see that God Habakkuk understands that God is using Babylon as his tool of judgment. God is using Babylon as his tool of judgment. So, uh, and, and by the way, I, I did miss this. In, the, in verse 12, he also says, we shall not die. Uh, so here's another piece. God always, always keeps his promises uh, that he is the covenant-keeping God, he is the Holy One, he is my Holy One, he is the one that is set apart from all, and then uh, then we see Habakkuk remind himself, we shall not die. In other words, God has made an everlasting promise to the people of Israel uh, that there would always, uh, that there was going to be a kingdom that would last forever, that's going to be the kingdom that Jesus would one day be the king over, but he's made that promise, and God will not back out on his covenant. And so what Habakkuk is remembering is, yes, you're everlasting. You are Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. You are holy and set apart from all other gods, and you will do what you say you're going to do. We shall not die. There is faith being expressed here by Habakkuk. He is not thinking that after he hears what God says, that Babylon is coming, that all hope is lost. He still understands that God is who he says he is, and God is going to do what he says he's going to do. That he is going to protect his remnant, as Justin preached about last week. He's going to protect the remnant of people that would follow God no matter what. It wasn't that everyone had abandoned God. There were still some that were being faithful. And so Habakkuk knows that who God is, and he knows that they're not going to die. And then he goes on to the second part of verse 12, and he says, God is using Babylon as his tool of judgment, which I already said. He says, O Lord, have you ordained them as a, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. Here again, even in this, Habakkuk reminds himself that God is his rock, his hard place, his stability, his security is found in God. And yet in the midst of that, he says, yes, God, this is what you're going to do. You have ordained them, talking about Babylon, as a judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. This is an important truth that Habakkuk understood that we need to understand. What is happening today, God is in control over. He is sovereign over everything that happens. There is nothing outside of his reach. There is nothing outside of his hands. He is in control of all things, even when it seems like things are chaotic, crazy, and shouldn't be going the way they are. Think about this. But Babylon is a terrible, awful, sinful people that he is going to use to judge his own people. So why do we think that when things happen in life by sinful, arrogant, bad people, from our perspective, that somehow that means God's not in it? 
God is in everything because God is sovereign over everything. Let's just be real here. If God is not in control of everything, then He's not God. Because if He is going to give up control to someone else or something else and control is gone, then somebody else controls the world and then that thing or that person is God. Babylon isn't God. God is God. And he established Babylon. He ordained Babylon. He chose them to be his tool of judgment on his own people. And Habakkuk knows this. We can't miss that Habakkuk knows who God is and he knows what God is doing. And he doesn't say this like, I can't believe that you're just letting things go like this. He says, God, why? I know you've done this. And then he says another thing about God's character and his plan. God cannot and will not let sin go unpunished. Verse 13. You are who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk understands and reestablishes one other thing, and that is that God is pure. And therefore, he cannot and will not let sin go unpunished. He can't because that's against his character. Habakkuk knows that. And now he's going to struggle with this next portion of saying, I know who you are, God. I know what you're doing, but I'm having trouble understanding why and when. I'm having trouble understanding why you aren't stepping in sooner. And that's really the crux of his question. He's not questioning God's plan. He's not questioning God's character. He knows those things. And can I just say that we need to know those things as well? We need to look at God's word and know who he is, and we need to know where history is going. And if we don't know his word and we don't know who he is, then it's going to be almost impossible for us to have faith in the midst of confusion. Habakkuk knew who God is. He knows what God is doing And he knows that God is not going to let sin go unpunished. So then his question is, well, when are you going to make things right? Because I know you will, but when? And why is it taking so long? Because we are people who want things now. And God is going to answer him. But Habakkuk questions God's timing. That is our next point. Habakkuk questions God's timing. uh, And we see this happen uh, at the end of verse 13. Uh, and we're going to see it also through 14 through 17. We're going to look at what he says, and then even all the way to chapter 2, verse 1. Um, uh, and here's what we're going to see. Habakkuk questioned God's timing, uh, 113b. Is God just going to stand by while his people are destroyed by sinful pagans? Is God just going to stand by while his people are destroyed by sinful pagans? Uh, 113b, again, uh, here we see, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk is saying, God, okay, I know who you are. I've read your word. I I know who you are. You're a holy, covenant-keeping, promise-fulfilling God who is going to punish sin. But then why are you just standing by and doing nothing? Habakkuk is saying, God, why are you just standing by? When are you going to step up? When are you going to step in? That's what Habakkuk is frustrated by. That's what he's trying to figure out, and that's what he asks God. Why are you just standing by? In other words, when are you going to step in and make things right? When are you going to do what I know you already said you're going to do? When are you going to be the God that I know you to be? That is what Habakkuk is asking. And I don't think Habakkuk is wrong here. He's just, he's so passionate and desperate for God to work that he's calling upon God. Why are you not working yet? Why are you not stepping in? Verses 14 through 17 give us some interesting imagery, some metaphors. Um, You make mankind of the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. And it has all these fishing analogies. He brings them all up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? What is Habakkuk doing here? Habakkuk is asking the question, how long is the brutal violence of Babylon going to be tolerated? How long is the brutal violence of Babylon going to be tolerated? This whole fishing analogy, he starts by saying, God, you've made people just like fish. They're defenseless. They don't have a ruler. They're just kind of wandering around, swimming around. And now you've established Babylon, the fishermen, to come in and to take all the fish for themselves. 
And he, he says, God, you're allowing Babylon to do this. They're coming in and they're, they've got a hook and they've got a net talking about their military might. That they are coming in and you've given them everything they need to, to catch people and to destroy people and to kill people. And then he says, not only that here, he's talking about how they make offerings to their dragnet. And, and lives in luxury and their food is rich. He's saying, not only are you allowing them to have military might to take all the fish out of the sea, but you're then giving them, you're giving them luxury. They're, they are just sitting back as happy as can be. Their bellies are full. They have all the fish they could need and all they could want. They keep catching fish and they're worshiping their dragnets. They're worshiping their military might. They're worshiping their pride. They're worshiping who they are. They're worshiping themselves. And yet, you just sit by. That's the whole point. So then he says in verse 17, after he talks about all these fishing analogies, like you're allowing Babylon just to be this ruthless, violent fisherman that is dragging people with a net and grabbing them with a hook. And he says, this is, and, and they're just throwing it all, throwing you away, God. They are completely not worshiping you and worshiping themselves, and yet they live in luxury and their food is rich. And then he says in verse 17, is he then to keep on enjoying his, in, emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Habakkuk says, is this ever going to end? How long is the brutal violence of Babylon going to be tolerated, God? Is it ever going to end? And are we ever there in our society where we just start get to the point where we're like, God, this isn't how it should be. When is it going to end? When are you going to change things? Is this going to last forever? And God's going to answer and he's going to say, no, it's not going to last forever. Even when we feel like that. God is going to do what we know God is going to do and he's going to be who we know God is to be even if it takes a whole lot longer than we would ever expect. So then we see here that Habakkuk knows that God will answer and waits for it in chapter 2, verse 1. I will take my stand at the watch post. My station, I will station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. This is an expression of faith for Habakkuk. He knows that God is going to answer him. It's very interesting here as we see this uh, because he, he looks at it and says, Habakkuk knows, he, he just knows that God will answer and he's waiting for God to answer. So, how is God going to answer? And that gets us to our point three. And uh, Stephen, my PowerPoint's messed up, so do your best. Um, so... <clears throat> we get to point three, and we see Habakkuk sees God's answer. Uh, and the Lord answered me in verse two, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. And then he goes on and gives him the continued answer. What do we see? What do we see here? We see God's words are to be recorded for others to follow him in chapter two, verse two. It says, write the vision. And I, it's, there's some question about what vision he's writing. Is it just this portion of the book? Is it the whole book? Well, I think verse 1 of the whole book says the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. This is the vision. I think what this is happening now is God is saying, Habakkuk, all that's happening, all that you're seeing, this conversation we're having, write it down so that he who runs will read it. And he who runs, again, hard to translate for sure, but it seems to be a metaphor for those who are obeying God. He says, Write these down so that the remnant, the people who are still obeying God, are going to continue to run, continue to obey God, that they will do it as they read it. And so what we see is that God's words are to be recorded for others to follow him, and that includes us. These words were recorded for us. So it's not just about what was happening in Judah thousands of years ago, but it's about now. It's about, write this down so that we can run, we can obey God, we can learn from it, and we can know it. And so that's why we study it today. In verse 3, we see this truth come out. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God will accomplish his perfect holy purpose, but watch this, in his timing. That's what God says to Habakkuk. He says, no, They're not going to continue to be able to kill all the nations forever. Yes, I'm going to judge sin because that's who I am and that's what I do. I know I'm paraphrasing here. But then God says to him, he says, but it will happen, but not now. It will happen, 
It will not delay. In other words, it will come at the right time. But that right time isn't up to you, Habakkuk. It's up to me. And God is saying here, listen, it's all going to happen. It seems slow. It seems slow. But wait for it. Because I'm working. Wait for it. It's going to happen. It'll surely come. It will not delay. It's going to come at the right time. Trust me. Habakkuk, trust me. Yes, you're right. You're right about who I am. You're right about what I do. Now just trust me that I'm going to do it in the right timing. Even if we don't get it. Even if you don't get it, Habakkuk. Because what we're going to see through the rest of this book is this isn't just about Babylon taking over Judah, but it's also about the fact that Babylon will be judged. And we'll get to that next week and beyond. And and Babylon will be judged because God is the God who punishes sin. And, And Habakkuk is going to find supreme joy. And he's going to be able to worship God knowing that God has it all planned out and is going to do what is right. And right now God says, I'm going to do what is right, but you need to trust in my timing, Habakkuk. So then he goes on and says this, Behold, his soul is puffed up, talking about Babylon. It is not upright within him. In other words, their faith is in themselves. But then what does he say? He says, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. And so we see that God's righteous remnant will live in faith even as the world around them is faithless. Verse 5 goes on. Moreover, wine, pleasure, whatever you want to, wealth, all those things are covered in this idea of wine, is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. In other words, they're, they're never happy. They're never full. They're never content. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He never has enough. Death continues to kill people over and over again because there's never enough. And that's what Babylon, that is what the world is like. They just want more and more and more. They have faith in themselves and in the things they have and that's all they care about. He gathers for himself all nations and collects all as his own peoples. The arrogance of Babylon is collecting all the people of the world saying, this is our nation, this is us, we are powerful, we are prideful. And they are having faith in themselves. But going back to verse 4, what is it that God's people, the righteous remnant, Those who are, in our case, made righteous by the death of Jesus. Those who have received Jesus and his death on our behalf. And we are justified. And what does it mean for us? Well, we will live by his faith. We will live by faith. Trust in God. Now, there is a lot of talk about what this word faith means. In some translations or in some places, people would say that you should translate this, but the righteous will live through faithfulness or by faithfulness. And not necessarily by faith. So is Habakkuk, or is God, as he talks to Habakkuk, talking about, well, those who are righteous in God, those who are in the remnant of followers of Jesus, of followers of God, are they going to live by faith in God, or are they going to live a faithful life? And I would say to you today that these two things aren't at opposition. A faithful life and having faith in God, they go together. They're really the same that one coin, different sides. Uh, and I think the Bible makes this very clear. I want to go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, and this is on the PowerPoint. We'll have to go back a bit. Uh, Galatians 3, uh, 5 through 11. And we're going to get through these quickly, but I want you to really listen to what God has to say. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Does that last passage, that last couple verses sound familiar? It should. If it doesn't, you haven't been listening. The righteous shall live by faith. And we see in Galatians that this is a... a, Paul is making a difference between living in the law and living in faith. But then he gives us an example of what that faith looks like. And that's Abraham. So, James 2, 20 through 24. Let's go there. Because this tells us more about Abraham and his faith. 
James 2, 20-24 says this, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified, or you, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now we talked about this when we went through the book of James, so if you have more questions about this passage, find it online, watch it again. But what we see here is what was Abraham's faith? Abraham's faith is active. It's an active trusting in God that will result in a faithful life. Uh, we can't separate these two things. If we truly have trust in God, if we truly have trust in his character, his plan, and his timing, then we will live in faith because we're trusting him. But if we really trust him, then we'll live the way he says to live. Doesn't that just make sense? Uh, if, if I trust my wife, but I need to have a private investigator follow her everywhere she goes, am I really trusting my wife? No. That would be dumb. I'm not really trusting her because my actions are showing that. Here's the truth that we see through Abraham and we see in this idea that the righteous shall live by faith is simple that faith in God results in faithfulness to God. They cannot be separated. And I saw this quote this this week and it's simple and I hope you can remember it because it's very short and simple and it's based on a movie that I happen to like quite a bit, kind of. Uh, You know the, the slogan from Forrest Gump, stupid is as stupid does. I saw this quote, faith is as faith does. Love that quote. Faith is as faith does. They go together. If you truly trust God, then it will result in a change in your life. That is the simple truth of faith. And so as we see the righteous will live by faith, it is about a trust. But it's not just this, I trust God in my mind. Like a lot of us say the right things or think the right things, but then when it comes down to it, we don't really trust him in how we actually apply those things to our life. I know I've been there. I'll say one thing, but do another. And then it... It's a sense of hypocrisy, but really, I think it's just confusion sometimes for us. We say we trust God in some ways, but then we don't live it out. And I think these things need to be come together, because if we truly trust him, then our life will be different. And so we see that Habakkuk, he responds, he knows who God is, what he's going to do, and, and then he asks, but God, why are you waiting so long? Is it ever going to happen? God says now it's going to happen. You just need to wait, and you need to wait in faith. You need to trust me, Habakkuk. And he's saying to us today, Church, you need to trust me. You need to trust me. You know who I am. You know what I'm going to do. Trust me that I'll do it in my time. And even though 2021 might end up being worse than 2020, God is still on the throne. And we can still trust him. And we can live in that trust. We're going to see that in in just a little bit as I read some things when we get to our conclusion. So, this is what we see in Habakkuk. I could have broken this down much further. I know that. Uh, Some of these uh, metaphors we really could have dug into. But I wanted to get us to a point where we look now at the New Testament and see how it draws Habakkuk in so that we have an idea of what we should be living like in the face of 2020-2021. In this time in history that many of us have not seen, where it seems like we're in the midst of a storm, where it seems like we're, in a, we're watching a sports game that has no hope, where it seems like we're, everything is painful and we don't know where it's going. Are we going to wait out the storm in faith or are we going to try to go out and shake our fists at the storm or, or run away from the storm? And even though you can't run away from it, we need to wait it out in faith. And so the New Testament does talk about this passage in Habakkuk many times. We already read one in Galatians. But some questions and implications that I want us to consider today before we close our time. Do you really know God and his plan of salvation? We need to start here. Do you, do I, do we really know God and his plan of salvation? As I said earlier, if we're going to have faith in the worst of times, if we're going to take the storm and say, God, you're going to work through this, the calm is coming, if we're going to say that, then we need to know a couple things. We need to know who God is. We need to know what he's done and what he's doing. Uh, We need to trust in those things. And that's going to be what's going to allow us to see his work. Romans 1, 16 through 17. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul brings this in in Romans. It's right in the very first part of Romans. And in the very first part of Romans, Paul's making it very clear that it's the gospel. It's all about the gospel. The fact that Jesus fulfilled what God had promised all of time. From the very beginning of Scripture, the promise that was coming through the Messiah, that there would be one who would come, that would make things and set things right, to be the ruler that God had promised, to be the Savior that God had promised, to be God Himself in the flesh. That is the Gospel. And that Gospel comes through Jesus. That Jesus came and He lived the perfect life as God in the flesh, that he lived that life, he preached righteousness, he preached love, he preached God to the world and showed them what true hope was all about, what true joy was all about, that God was working. And keep in mind that this was after 400 years of the Jews wondering if God was ever going to show up. And he shows up through Jesus And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed of the fact that Jesus came and lived and then died on the cross, gave his life to pay for our sins, that his uh, that his wrath would be appeased, that God's wrath would be appeased on the person of Jesus and that we wouldn't have to face the punishment of our sin. We won't have to go to hell. We won't have to, uh, to understand a reality that we don't live in the grace and mercy of God any longer. We don't have to experience that because Jesus died and Jesus rose again and Jesus said, I'm stronger than sin and death so therefore nothing should shake you because I'm here have trust in me believe in me and you have eternal life that starts now and lasts forever that is the gospel so many other parts of it but what Paul is getting at is what is the gospel it's all about faith then it's all about faith it's that God did what he said he was going to do because he is who he says he is and now do we receive that in faith and just come and say God I trust you I trust that Jesus is all I need I trust that Jesus is everything. I trust that Jesus is the fulfillment of all things. And I'm going to trust Him and love Him and follow Him. This is faith. That we not only just believe by saying, yes, I believe Jesus was a person or that Jesus was God or that Jesus died for me, but that we believe it to the point where it changes us. But it's not our work, it's His. And Paul's going to go through that in the whole book of Romans. And if you want to know more about that, come to ABF on Wednesday night. So, book of Romans, Paul starts out saying it's the gospel, it's faith. The righteous shall live by faith. If you want to understand what God's plan is and who he is, you need to come to him. You need to know God through Jesus. You need to come to his word and know who Jesus is. And you need to know what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do. We can trust God's promises in the future because we know that God has never not completed a promise. We trust in his character that he always keeps his promises. So if you don't know Jesus, if you have not truly given your life to him in a way that says, I'm going to trust you, Jesus, I'm going to trust what you've done, I'm going to trust who you are, and I'm done trusting in myself, if that has not come to you, then you are not the righteous living by faith. You are instead going to an eternity in which you will not be experiencing the love, grace, and mercy of God the way that we can if we come to him and trust him. So today, trust him with your life. Second question, and we've got a big passage to read, so I won't hopefully spend too much time talking about it. But are you frustrated or anxious about God's plan or timing? Right now, 2021, are you frustrated or anxious about God's plan or timing? I just want to read from 2 Peter 3, 1 through 18, so follow along with me. I'm not going to say too much about this because I want the word of God to speak. Listen to what is said. Read what is said. And it should give us hope. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder. What do we need to be reminded of? That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and the Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Seems like we're there. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. 
For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world then that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved, our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. And skipping to 17. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I don't even know if I have to say anything. God is not slow. He's doing what he's doing for a purpose, and it's to bring people to repentance. And so, yes, we're living in a time that quite honestly sometimes feels it's just it stinks to be here. And we want things to end. We want things to be what he says. And it's coming. Church, it's coming. Jesus is coming back. All things will be right. We don't know when, though. So what do we do now? We don't just sit around saying, oh, it's all going to be okay one day, so I'm just not going to worry about anything. No, we live a life of holiness. We live a life in which we preach to others because... He is coming, and we have hope in that. We can trust in that, no matter what 2021 brings, that Jesus is coming back. It might be this year, it might be next year, it might be a 100 years from now, but Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he's going to set all things right, and can we trust in that? And as a result, watch this. this. I love this statement here in verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, you know that everything's going to be, you know that everything's going to end and it's going to, God is going to do this. You know who God is. You know what he's going to do. It says, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Are we not in a world right now that there is no such thing as stability? Like there is no stability anywhere. Everyone is inconsistent. There is sin and instability in every area of our lives. But God is our rock, going back to Habakkuk. He's our rock. He is our stability. And therefore, we can be stable even in the worst of times. So if you're frustrated or anxious about God's plan or timing, listen to his word and trust in him and continue to grow in him. Know him more every day because we don't know how much longer we're here, but as long as we're here, we need to pursue him and preach him to others. That is our call. Final question, are you living a faith-filled, faithful life no matter what? This, that last phrase, are you living a faith-filled, faithful life no matter what? Got to go to Hebrews chapter 10 where we also see the passage in Habakkuk coming up again. Hebrews chapter 10, I wanted to read the whole chapter, but I didn't. I restrained myself. So I would encourage you though, read Hebrews chapter 10 and 11 if you want to know more about faith. It's... It's amazing. All of God's word is. But go to Hebrews 10 and 11 this week and read it. But I'm going to read to you verse 32 through 39 of chapter 10. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you all knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. 
for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised, yet for a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are not the people who shrink back. If we know Jesus, we are his people. And therefore, he will keep us. Therefore, he will allow us to have faith in him, even in the hardest of times. And notice that he, he talks about all the bad stuff. Suffering, publicly exposed, reproach, affliction, being partners with those who are mistreated. Uh, and and I, this, this statement is crazy to me. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. There's coming a day that maybe our property will be plundered. We might lose everything in this world. But you, why can we be joyful? Because we know that we ourselves have a better possession and an abiding one. We have Jesus forever. No matter what gets taken away in this world. And so, be encouraged, Christian. Be encouraged, church. He's not going to let us shrink back. Have faith in Jesus. Have faith in him. Trust in his plan. Trust in his character. Trust in his timing. Things are going to be good. Things are going to be best. The calm is coming. I don't know when, and neither do you. But until that day comes, would you trust Jesus with me? Final thoughts as we think about all we just read. As I already said earlier, 2020 is a, is a year that is worth lamenting in many ways. The political unrest, the virus, death of family and loved ones, fill in the blank, whatever happened this year, it's, it's worth lamenting. And saying, God, why was it the way it was? Why is it the way it is? But remember that 2021 and beyond, we have no guarantee. It might be much worse. Just like from it went from... Habakkuk being surrounded by Judean sin to being destroyed, destroyed by Babylon. So then the question becomes today as we close, who or what are you trusting in? Who or what are you trusting in? See, last week as Pastor Justin was up here, he talked a lot about fear and how to respond to fear. And here's what I want to say today is we are facing 2020, 2021, the unknown. Everything seems to be going down in a way that we just can't understand and don't know why God is doing what he's doing and it's hard and it's frustrating and it might get worse. We can easily become anxious and fearful and those feelings are going to happen because they're real feelings. But I would say this, fear is not itself wrong as we looked at last week because it's an emotion that God has given us. But if we let it control us, that's where the problem lies. If we let fear and anxiety control the way we live and not Jesus and trusting in him, then we really need to consider what we're doing. We need to have faith through our feelings of fear. Not faith instead of fear. I've heard that so many times. Like, it's faith or fear. It's not one or the other. It's faith through fear. Like, even when you're afraid, even when things are hard, even when things don't feel good, we can have faith. So what are you afraid of today? Are you afraid of COVID? Are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of the loss of loved ones? Are you afraid of sickness? Are you afraid of having to be quarantined longer? Are you afraid of a broken political system that doesn't seem to be getting better? Are you afraid of a certain politician taking power? Are you afraid of losing our American freedom or our freedom in general? Are you afraid of a financial crisis? Are you afraid of what the future will hold for our kids? I'll tell you, that's where I was this week. I was looking around the world in this country. I was thinking, what are my kids going to grow up in? It's not going to be the world that I knew. But can I trust God anyway? Can I trust God with my kids? Those fears are real. But don't let them control you. We need to trust that God is who he says he is. That he'll do what he says he'll do. And he'll do it when he says he'll do it. Even when we don't know. Don't find your hope or your trust. and Don't find your hope through putting your faith in anything other than Jesus during this time. I've got to be clear on this. Because all of us are tempted to find hope in putting faith in other things. Maybe you've put faith in the vaccine. Maybe you've put faith in a mask. 
Maybe you put faith in an isolation or quarantine. Maybe you've put faith in a political figure or a political party. Maybe you've put faith in a fair election. Maybe you've put your faith in a revolution that's to come. Maybe you've put your faith in a stimulus plan. Maybe you've put your faith in a peaceful population and everything is going to be right in America. All those things don't last even if they happen. Those aren't going to be where you find your hope. Don't fall for the lie. Your stability does not come from any of these things. Your stability comes through Jesus as a follower of him. Will you trust him? Even if things get worse, even if 2021 is the worst year we'll ever have, will you trust Jesus anyway? I preach this to myself just as much as I preach it to you. Because it's hard. And with that, can we just pray as we close? And uh, after I pray, I'm hoping this will work. I, I asked the video team to put up a video. We sang a song today in the gym. He will hold, my, hold, he will hold me fast. And can I just say that today as we sang that, the truth of that song and what we're going to look at today in the Word came together. So after I pray, I want us to listen to that song. So don't go anywhere. Sit here and listen. If you're going to hum, you probably should put your mask on. <laughs> but listen to the words and really think about the words. Don't, it's not just a song, but it's truth. But let me pray because we need his help and we need him to hold us in this time. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you that you, everything is in your hands. The good, the bad, the ugly. You're in control. God, would you help us all to trust you? Would you help us to know that you are holding us fast as we try to hold on to things in this world? There's no sense. Can we just give ourselves up so that you will hold us? Lord, would you hold us during 2021 and beyond? Would you hold us forever? God, we know you're a God who is who you say you are. We know you're a God who is going to do what you said you're going to do. And we know you're a God who's going to do it at the right time. And would you help us to trust that? We need you. This year, we need you every day. Lord, help us to trust in you. Please hold us fast. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.